It's a movie that goes down like room temperature tap water. We watched Murder COD, which means it's time for another Portland at the Movies. In a world, in a time, in a land of eternal beauty, all that stands between a city and a disaster, in a city where anything can happen, if you thought you had seen it all. Quality of life, the great opportunities, yada, yada, yada. And me, kicking and screaming that I was going to hate it out here. Well, Steve, I do. Hello and welcome to another episode of Portland at the Movies. My name is Todd Workoven. I am joined, as always, by Brian the Unipiper Kid. How are you, Brian? I'm doing very well, Todd. Good, good. And we are joined by a special guest. Since Mark is out uh, this month, we have Michael Gibson with us. Hello, Michael. Hello, everybody. Pleasure to be on board the podcast. Good, good. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? And by us, I mean me, because I'm just meeting you for the first time. Yeah, uh, by strange coincidence and meeting many creative types in Portland, I met Brian maybe like two weeks ago. And he told me about your podcast and I listened to the last episode slapped, which was a lot of fun. Thank you for that. I'm not sure I'm as, as traumatized as y'all, but uh, it was enjoyable. And I decided, uh, well, this opportunity to be on this podcast is a really good one. Sounds like a lot of fun. I'm an independent filmmaker. I own and operate a small film and photography studio in Northeast Portland called Videos the Future. And we make these kind of like low budget genre Western rom-coms, horror, sci-fi, um, uh, films, so far short films and commercials, but soon we're going to be doing some feature films and hopefully getting them on uh, Tubi, which is where we watched, uh, Yes, which is where you can watch a lot of fine products. <laughs> yes, a lot of fine products and then also slapped. You can yes. watch on there. <laughs> well, welcome to the show. I, I sort of wish we had a more, the, the thing about this podcast is it's funny because the worse the movie is, the better the episode usually goes. And so trying to top anything slapped related is a, is a tough call. So I think we're, we're bringing down that level of expectation again to a 1990 made for TV movie called Murder COD starring TV's Patrick Duffy. Um, which I guess my first thing is that phrase TV's Patrick Duffy, which is the only way I say that. Is that a South Park thing? Yes. Okay. hundred percent. Because Rick, was... Emer Rick Emerson always used to say it on his show and I never connected it with, with South Park. So I finally looked it up and I was like, am I the only one who says TV's Patrick Duffy? But he got that from South Park. So I will be referring him only as TV's Patrick Duffy. Yes, that was um, the classic first season episode of South Park where the uh, monster uh, Scuttlebutt is this creature that has a celery stick for an arm and Patrick Duffy for a leg. <laughs> um, they always refer to him in that episode as TV's Patrick Duffy. That's funny. Well, that, that crosses off at least something in my head that was worthwhile for this movie. Brian, do you want to uh, tell us a little bit about the movie you chose for us this month? Yeah, uh, how about I just read the back of the box? Perfect. And, and uh, I mean, that's kind of amazing that we, we have a back of the box to even read. It is. Uh, I was I was talking to you earlier because you sent me a picture of it. And it's surprising how many of these, like The Last Innocent Man and like all of these TV movies that ended up on VHS. And I guess it never occurred to me that they did that with, with TV movies. But yes, it somehow inexplicably made its way to VHS. I can kind of understand that for like foreign releases, but you know, when it was already shown on TV, I, you know, 
I guess Good Times video saw uh, marketing potential with this. <laughs> the Mark of Quality Good Times video. Yeah. All right, so what is this movie about? All right, it says Alex Brandt uses high-tech equipment to eavesdrop on an argument between businessman Arthur Kramer and his battered wife, Sally, then coldly shoots Arthur while he is jogging. Having wished many times that he was dead, Sally is the chief suspect, though the Portland police can find no evidence to incriminate her. Then she gets the shock of her life, a $100,000 invoice for services rendered, one murder. But Captain Steve Murtaugh, Patrick Duffy, gets an equally big surprise when he finds out this murder is linked with an unsolved killing he handled in Chicago, for he too has been one of Alex's unwilling customers. With its ingenious premise and in gripping suspense, Murder COD is a fast-paced game of cat and mouse that'll have you riveted till its shattering conclusion. Okay, I strongly disagree, but that does give us the the plot of this movie, I guess. Um, I, I was thinking about it, and like uh, it, it, people of our like the the generation after us, I don't know that they would even understand what COD means. I was thinking that, and I was also thinking, do they even know what a made-for-TV movie is? Like, I don't think any of the networks do, like, because it was always the big deal. It was like the Saturday, Sunday, and Monday night movie event. And I just can't imagine that that exists in any way anymore. And for right. me, this is like the quintessential made-for-TV movie. Like, it looks like it. The acting looks like it. It has just enough uh, sexiness in it. has just enough action in it to be, like, uh, the perfect low-budget uh, cable TV movie and it, just the colors of it, just the way it looks and plays. It really is almost a quintessential textbook example of this. And just enough saxophone. <laughs> yeah. Yes, we can't, we can't be without our sexy saxophone with any of these TV movies. Um, it is one of our movies though, that is proudly set in Portland because in the first seconds of the movie, we get the waterfront and it says Portland, Oregon on it. Yeah, it's, it's funny, uh, Michael, that's usually how uh, one of the first questions we, we want to answer with these movies is like, A, uh, was it actually set in Portland and do they call it Portland um, or was it just filmed in Portland? But yeah, this movie right off the bat, you know, they're like, that's Portland. Yep. OK. And, and then two seconds later, they're going to call it out. Yeah. So why don't you do you remember any of the, lo uh, the locations that they show? There was a nice little montage at the beginning with with tons of locations. Tyler yeah. Square. Uh, yes. The waterfront, um, a lot of stuff downtown or on east side, on either side of the uh, river, close in. Yeah, um, they use Saturday Market for like I kind of like that set or that location because you can always make almost three different locations mm -hmm. out of just that one little area. Uh, have we seen the, I, I feel like we obviously should have, but I, I can't recall seeing the Salmon Street Fountain before. Oh, I, I don't think that, and but we did get to see the Benson Bubblers again. That showed up. <laughs> yes. Which was exciting. Not, they didn't run over it this time. <laughs> Nobody hit it with a car. Um, so yeah, it was, it's always, I guess with movies like this, I mentioned it was, it was pretty bland, which it is, but again, the genre of the late eighties, early nineties TV movies, I think that was part of the point. Like it just feels like all of these movies are made to do laundry to, like you're like in another, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're in another room or you're doing something and you're not, you miss a, you know, a three minute chunk, 
but you're really like on the second viewing of this movie last night, even in like 1.5 speed, there is not a lot going on in this movie. What's that, funny is I feel like there's almost too much going on in the movie because it's a noir, it's a police procedural, it's a, a romance uh, kind of affair, the a husband's cheating on the wife. Uh, there's a there's a spy technology part to this. The bad guy is almost like a James Bond villain, but he's also <laughs> like a kind of like a Silence of the Lambs like serial killer, and he gets pleasure out of doing all these. It also goes to Chicago at one point, uh, which seems uh, unneeded. Um, and and there's like a rivalry between oh, a, a Lethal Weapon is kind of in this movie. Uh, sure. And there's this kind of like rivalry between these uh, Portland cops and the new guy who moved in to become the captain, but they never go anywhere with it. There's there's intrigue at the bumper factory. <laughs> let's not let's not forget that there's intrigue at the bumper factory. That's what it was. OK, I was wondering what they were making with that big metal press. <laughs> yeah. Intrigue at the, the, the world's best the bumper best. with the lowest profit. <laughs> But but he's that, been working his whole life. Yes, to make this these is bumpers. a boring movie, but but it uh, it has it has a lot in it, which actually kind of makes it kind of confusing. That is really true when when you put it that way, and it made me laugh so much because they say and refer to Chicago so much in this movie, almost as if to say, no 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 no, there's an exciting place that you know that's tangentially involved with with what's going on here. So we'll just keep saying Chicago, and then we'll visit Chicago, and then we'll come back and say Chicago some more. <laughs> <laughs> they were apologizing for this movie being set in Portland. <laughs> <laughs> they really, they really were. The, the uh, villain has a great line towards the end where he's like, "Couldn't you have picked a bigger town? This, oh yeah, this town doesn't have enough marks for me, and I'm, I, I, in my quest to stalk you, I feel, I feel awful that you, of all the places, chose Portland." <laughs> <laughs> but they actually do a good job of making Portland seem like a very big town. Like they it's got speedy like dock areas and the downtown, and it's just like a lot of hustle and bustle. Uh, and there was like that suburbs. one one shootout, or not really a shootout, but when Patrick Duffy goes to meet uh, Willem Devane, who or William Devane, who plays the bad guy in this movie, are they meeting under the Morrison Bridge, like by City Liquidators? Is that where that little... I thought I thought the same thing. Okay, because that was cool. Yeah, they had it set dressed, like with burned out cars and garbage, and that looked really cool. Um, I did notice that the very, in the very beginning montage, I think there's... Um, one of the parks that's kind of up, I forget what both of them are called, kind of by the Fox Tower and then a little further down from that, kind of at the um, South Park blocks, maybe, but not quite to the green space. Like, I think there's a life-size chessboard now in that one space, but there's a, a movie theater across the street from that. And I can't remember the name of it. We saw it the in the- theater? Yes. The, well, yeah. not, yeah. The, the next old, to the Portland, the center stage, that kind of cultural area. Something like that. And on, on Broadway. And, on the very back, uh, in the background, you saw the movie marquee and it said uh, Total Recall. So oh, nice. I was very excited that Total Recall made an appearance on this. And also at the very beginning, so they're playing the credits, they're showing some great Portland scenes. Uh, and it goes through the cast list. And at the very end, it says, special appearance by Marianne Hartley as Sally Kramer. And so I was like, who, who is this? And so I looked her up and she doesn't seem to be, and she's one of those actresses that have been like working constantly since, you know, the 1960s and TV and soaps and like, she has a ton of credits, but like nothing, it's not like she was the, you know, the, the lady in Poltergeist or like nothing of note. So I thought it was so funny that they like gave her a special Alter appearance yeah. by Marianne Hartley. 
She's not Dallas or 24 famous. No, no, not at all. Yeah, or step by Duffy. step, which is the only Patrick Duffy vehicle I will, I will recognize. Uh, we also get Mac from Night Court in here, who is uh, one of the uh, two police. He's the black police uh, detective in the story, and he's the guy that played uh, Mac on the show Night Court for years and years and years. So I was, <laughs> I was very excited to see him show up. Um, so as Brian read at the beginning, this movie is about. Um, a killer who, and we'll get into the specifics of later because I have lots of questions about the mechanics of this killer, but basically the killer finds somebody in a situation where that other person wishes someone else was dead. We heard the one, I was like, the wife wanted her husband dead. And then the, the bumper factory guy sort of wishes his brother was out of the picture because the brother is trying to do a hostile takeover. So Willem Devane, the the um, the bad guy in this movie, kills those people and then sort of uh, um, gets the person who wished it to pay Willem Devane $100,000 for services rendered for killing this person and kind of traps them into this. You're going to be the only, um, the only suspect in this, so you might as well pay me to you know to do something or other so that's the that's the overall premise and i had written much later like three quarters of the through the movie i wrote who is the main character because the credits and our familiarity will tell us that tv's patrick duffy is the main character but i don't feel like he is he's so tangential to a lot of the plot he mixes in at the end but it's like for long stretches of this movie, he's just not in it and not an active element in this drama of, of hunting down the serial killer. But then I was like, well, who is this movie about? He has the highest stakes. Uh, he has the most to lose. And he's also the one trying to solve the problem. But it's almost like the other two detectives are trying to like, at one point they're trying to uncover like maybe he's dirty because he is holding a secret. Yeah. Uh, so maybe that could have been like a better like plot for the audience to identify with. But just as Brian read the back of the box, the back of the box talks about Mrs. Kramer. Right. It doesn't even talk about Patrick Duffy. Yeah. It talks about it talks more about like the uh, Mrs. Kramer has to go through this thing because Alex, the antagonist, is killing people. So, yeah, it's a very confused movie about who this is about. Yeah. No, and and his performance as that villain is is like you mentioned uh somebody mentioned uh, like a james bond villain. is comically farcical uh yeah. like he has his own uh hinge uh underground secret <laughs> super villain layer yes and uh uh he's um uh, i lost my train of thought there i had another point but i, I will he'll come back to, he to it crazy at some points too like he's doing all this like you broke the bond you, you betrayed the trust. He keeps, yeah, so he kills the people and then um, sends a letter through the mail to um, uh, the person who kind of wished death on it saying, for services rendered $100,000. You know, in other words, I killed this person so you didn't have to, now you owe me this money. And all the letters ever say is, for services rendered $100,000, signed Alex. And he, like at several points keep saying that whole, you broke the bond, you betrayed the trust. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, you can't just keep saying it and have it be a thing. Like, it's not, there's no bond, like it's, there's no PS, don't tell anyone this is our bond. Like, 
he keeps talking about this bond like it's the <laughs> greatest thing on earth it's like you have to tell other people if you want that to to be in play the rules of the universe were not established <laughs> well and i guess that was my other base question was how does william devane find his target slash victim because it's always a pair where one person wants the other person out of the picture and at one point it, the movie opens with you know a busy pioneer square and a busy downtown waterfront and you can see william william devane listening to people through a, a spectacular spy pen and so he's like listening to people's conversations and at one point he does it outside his own house and i'm like well is he just going around hoping to stumble upon people that want someone dead and then hoping that they have a hundred thousand dollars like how is he finding these people he's like the uh slime in uh ghostbusters 2 he uh feeds off negative energy <laughs> i i think he is going around trying to find rich people though right like he's he's trying to find because he does some stalking but he for mrs kramer he knows all the information about the bank accounts which is funny because he oh. be listening to that outside of his house it's also really funny that he lives in like a condo yeah like, on the waterfront and he has this bunker too but he's hanging around rich people trying to find people who could pay the money pay, pay the ransom but also have this beef with somebody else that he could kill <laughs> that seems very complicated he's making a living at it yeah. he's better than me <laughs> he's doing well, the grind todd why don't you tell us about uh the tools that he uses to accomplish uh these tasks well, he, like I said, has the super amazing spy pen that he uses and he records people's conversation and goes back to the bunker that's hidden behind a bookcase in his house or whatever and and writes down everyone's problems. And then you're forgetting like the, the pen is only one part of it. Like he obviously ordered this from the back of a Voice Life uh, magazine, um, but the, the pen is only the microphone. Um, he controls it with his wristwatch. You are right. You are right. That's like what controls the frequency or whatever of the spy microphone. And it records. He's like recording to it and he like moves the microchip. It's all very technical. You understand it. <laughs> it's amazing. It was like the uh, 1980s version of an SD card inside the uh, watch. It's that little computer chip that he pulls out. There's a point at the end when Patrick Duffy uh finally gets involved in the movie and he realized so patrick duffy through this whole time is harboring this big secret he has recently moved to portland from chicago his wife doesn't really know why other than he was getting burnt out and, and maybe a little bit too close to a case that he was working on in chicago um we find out that patrick duffy when he was in chicago had an affair that was getting complicated Willem, William Devane finds out about it, kills the lady he was having an affair with, and then says, TV's Patrick Duffy, you now owe me $100,000. There was cat and mouse games there, and apparently to protect his wife, TV's Patrick Duffy goes to Portland, right? That's how he gets to Portland? Yes. Okay, so he's keeping that a secret for the most time, most part, and he's not working directly on the case in Portland because he doesn't want to complicate things or to get involved or to- No, because if, if the killer finds out that he's working on the case, then he will kill his wife. Okay, okay. Wait a second. So, but wait, he moved to Portland and he got this job and you kind of find out a little bit later in the, towards the end of the film that the people who hired him actually knew, like he's kind of like being protected 
but but then the killer follow is going to follow him wherever he goes. So he didn't. He was just trying to get away from it, and then the killer followed him, right? And yeah. I, and I want to bring up one more point about the villain and Patrick Duffy's motivations. The villain has some sort of shrine in his compound to the wife, and I didn't understand like if he was in love with the with Ellie, uh, Patrick Duffy's wife. Do you remember this? There's like candles. There's a photo. And it gets knocked over in the final police raid. So I think that's like yeah. another unusual element that Patrick Duffy is protecting his wife and the, the serial killer is maybe in love with his wife. That could be. I have a feeling this is based on a book and probably that the book is, is a little bit better. Oh, so yeah, maybe yeah. maybe that was like a whole, you know, thrust of the book involved the wife. But yeah, as far as it looks from what the movie is telling us he doesn't really have a beef with his murder victims. He just wants to extort the people who wanted them out of the picture. Well, they said at some point that um, the, the price uh, on Pat Patrick Duffy was not being billed for $100,000. Uh, Patrick Duffy was being billed um, to let the killer go. So right. I think that's why he was following Patrick Duffy is because he wants Patrick Duffy to pay and pay means like, get the police off his tail okay okay so maybe that's why he wasn't getting involved in the case or because it's really funny we know we know have known up to the at, at the that patrick duffy has been involved in his past and then it comes out at the police station with mac from night court and his partner that oh my gosh patrick duffy you knew this whole time and it's like I understand that it's a reveal to those two detectives, but like the TV or the, the viewing audience has known the whole time. And it's strange that they're, the way they're putting the movie together feels like it's supposed to be like a huge reveal to us watching the movie too. And I'm like, we already know all of this, <laughs> like what's happening? There was a separate movie that followed uh, <laughs> Lieutenant Silk and Corbin and then they decided to ditch that whole movie and then focus on Patrick Duffy. <laughs> it's the Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead of, of this movie where they just follow a completely tangential set of characters. Um, I did love, uh, this movie was made in 1990. So uh, the wife, Ellie, uh, TV Patrick Duffy wife, is just covered in layers and layers and layers of fabric with giant, like, padded shoulder pads and at one point she kind of dresses in this lingerie to kind of hope hopefully uh seduce patrick duffy a little bit who's been who's been swallowed by his work or whatever and she comes out with one of those just quintessential 80s lingeries where it's like it has a lot of pieces to it and like a jacket with shoulder pads like that goes with the lingerie and i'm like this is wild <laughs> what's happening fashion-wise <laughs> It's a very yeah. 90s movie. It's got a lot of great 90s looks, 90s technology. Uh, at one point, uh, the bad guy has like a phone that he's like, uh, no, uh, like a like a calculator it's... that he's typing in uh, addresses oh, and things into. That which, was my- which is so funny because we could adapt that way easier into a movie nowadays with, with the smartphone. I love that because I have, and I still have, it's probably on that shelf over there. Uh, one of those little, um, it was made by Brother, and it was like a dictionary thesaurus, but you can also do little type little words into and stuff like that. I'm like, oh my gosh, he's got one of it. His was like this Casio or Texas Instruments thing. And yeah, he's typing in his little his little notes on his people, which is so great. Uh, one more comment on like wardrobe and style. 
I think the real star of the show is Lieutenant Silk, aka Mac from Night Court's hat. He wears this very <laughs> stylish hat no matter what in every scene. Even when the outfit changes, he's wearing the hat. Even when he's doing a police raid, he's wearing the stylish hat. It's not quite a fedora, but it looks really good on him. It's really, it's, I don't know why it steals the scene whenever it's in the shot, but it does. And it's I wonder really if- good. And even more so than the lingerie, it calls more attention to the scene. Uh, I, I feel like maybe that was an actor's choice. He's like, I found this hat. It is my character. <laughs> I am going with this. They just let him have it. <laughs> they let him have it. So the plot kind of kicks into place when, uh, so we see William Devane, go through this thing and extort someone and then we get to the um the bumper manufacturer guy who is a, a man who's had this family business the man's brother wants him to sell to a big conglomerate they get in a huge fight about how the quality of bumpers will go down and all his people will lose their jobs blah 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 and so william devane kills the brother to get him out of the picture um but i was trying to figure out where the um because, yeah, they're in a, a, a manufacturing plant of some sort where there's like a huge stamping machine that I, that must be stamping the bumpers uh, out of whatever they're stamping with. And on the wall, like when they're doing a, uh, a shot from outside, it says walled manufacturing or something, W-A-L-D. So I'm like, I wonder, like that looked like to be a part of that building. And so I looked that up to see if it was still around. And I didn't, I found a walled manufacturing that does uh stamping and stuff like that but they're in they started in sheboygan wisconsin and now in kentucky and -hmm. seem to be like completely unrelated but they had this wonderful so i I went to their about us page and they had a like what we stand for type thing and they had (laughs) they had uh an acrostic so they had w-a-l-d and each of the letters stand for something else and so here is what uh (laughs) Here's what WALD uh, stands for. The W stands for workmanship. Oh, no, no, sorry. The W stands for quality workmanship. The A stands for assuring customer satisfaction. The L stands for linked to 100% on time. That's a good one. And D stands for uh, delivery and zero defects. And I'm like, Wald, I know you've been around for like a hundred years, but boy, could you use a copywriter for wow. that? Well, I was going to ask, like, what came first, whatever it's standing for, or the name? Clearly, the name came <laughs> first. There, there's a lot tried. of vision behind this. <laughs> Links to 100% on time. That's amazing. <laughs> uh, we see the scene where the brother of the bumper manufacturer um, uh, is standing on top of a building in what will become the Pearl District. But yeah, Brian. Oh, is look- that the scene where they step out onto the roof uh, set from the room? <laughs> oh, it looks a lot like that. I totally <laughs> thought that. Yeah, because yeah, they're on the building in in what was then just industrial Northwest, and you see um, you see the bridge behind them, the beautiful bridge. But then they like walk to the other side of the building top, the rooftop, and it is it has the one shack in the corner with a door on it. And I was like, holy shit, oh, it's the room. Mark. <laughs> they start playing football. And Danny shows up. It's drugs out of the brick, and then 
Denny shows up and has a crisis of conscience because he needs to pay money. But uh, during that scene, the brother is on the roof and uh, William Devane comes out and um, the brother's looking down an elevator shaft, which is where the, the room door goes to when he looks inside that. And the soundtrack starts playing what is clearly a riff of the psycho music. It starts to do basically the wee, wee, wee. And Willem Devane has a shotgun, so that doesn't match, but then uses the shotgun to just push him down the elevator shaft. I'm like, there's, stab him. Like, that's what the music is telling you to do. But he uses a shotgun to push him, which I thought was also a little convoluted. Um, um, but it's already established that he has no issue with shooting people because that's the first scene is that he kills somebody with a gun. So it's not like he's trying to cover his tracks and try to pretend that he just yeah. fell dead. Or maybe yeah. he thought he was getting too hot, right? The police are starting to get on his uh, tail, so he has to be a little bit more discreet. And they, they were are using ballistics. I was going to say they're doing that thing from, from the Christopher Nolan's Batman where they're retrofitting where the bullet came from out of like concrete in a lab somewhere. <laughs> um, I did like, <clears throat> excuse me. I did like how, so Willem De, William Devane, I keep calling him Willem, like Willem Dafoe, yeah, William Devane, um, to get people to have them like do the money drop off is kind of fun. And one, he shows up in the North Park blocks and he is, uh, has the person, the wife of, of the guy, one of the guys he killed, drop the money like in a trash can. And so we see her walking through the park and looking around and she sucks the money in a trash can and then like, it pans over to show William Devane like helping change the tire of a stroller with two small children. And I'm like, is that what he's doing while waiting for his extortion money? He's just like lending a hand to oh, random exercises. <laughs> but he does another one where he's like, he tells um, someone else to walk down the street uh, randomly around uh, Pioneer Square and as he's walking down the street a trunk pops open and they were instructed to put the money in the trunk and walk away and I thought that was kind of a neat little a little thing of how to get this uh, extortion money. Um, um, speaking of, of buildings that were labeled uh, did you see the party club? No. Um, it, it, it was, they, they, um, it's a building and then they have a little plaque on the outside and it says party P A R D E E club. Oh um, yeah, 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 yeah. And it was, it was a gun club in, in the movie. Um, but I looked for that building like, I, 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 I thought for sure that cause there is a party in Portland and I, I thought for sure that building must exist, but I couldn't find anything. Oh, that's a, I figured that was like some sort of golf course club, but I guess a gun club makes sense. But they also, it's weird because it's, this is set in Portland at another point, I wrote it down somewhere where they say that he's on a street that doesn't exist in Portland, which is clearly yeah. like Yamhill or something like that. Maybe Yamhill is just like too weird of a was thing. It like Haynes or something? Yeah, it was something real Nathan weird. Hayes. Yeah. And they also had um, when he's hunting down one of his victims, he's doing that. So he records the people via the pen, via his watch, via his computer at home. And, and his earpiece that he listens to the whole thing. And his earpiece. So he loads it on his computer at home. Then as the audio is playing, his computer is voice recognizing what it's saying and like finding the people involved and where they live. And they give an address for one of their houses, which is 432 Southwest Marina Road, 
which doesn't exist, but later in the movie, they are at a house that is 432. And so oh. I'm so curious as to if they like what, what was happening there. But um, but yeah, there are the, the redeeming thing about this movie and about a lot of these TV movies, especially, is that it is really fun to see what locations pop up and like the where's Waldo of like trying to read the street signs or what building is that and what era it's in so that they did have a lot of that in this movie. Where was the diner at the end of the movie? I wondered about that and I haven't found it, but it gave me, since a lot of this movie seemed to be filmed in like industrial Northwest, uh, kind of like off highway 30, those types of, of buildings uh, like by Montgomery park. I feel like maybe that's one of the buildings around there that it like, it's, it looked like a very quintessential looking diner. Yeah. Um, and it looked to me like it would be a place that like for the last 20 years, it wasn't a diner, but it was like this weird auto parts store or something like that. So I mean, it's got like neon trim and then it, it has letters on it too. And I, I couldn't quite make them out, but it looked like it said J O M I S. <laughs> something Jomies or I, so I, I couldn't know. find that. And then another one, they go, there was one artful shot in this movie that I really liked. And it's toward the end where they're closing in on William Devane. And it starts on this really cool, like old hotel marquee sign that says mm. Royal Hotel, which I haven't looked up to see where that might be. But the sign looked to be like decades old and not like a new thing for a movie. But they start on that and they kind of pan up and then they go kind of across the building and into the window to show William Devane. I was like, finally a shot worthwhile. Cause like the director of this is another guy that seems to be have worked forever, but a lot of it is just these TV movies, which they must at some point just be such a fill in the blank type thing and cross off the boxes of what we need just to get this done and produced on time and under budget. And, um, well, did you look uh, carefully at his, uh, uh, um, filmography uh he also did fatal exposure um and no yes and oh he i did, missed that he did for my daughter's honor and the uh take my vice Anne and abby story that we haven't watched yet but these are all portland all of those are portland movies yeah they're all made for tv portland movies he's like the portland director Whoa. guy yeah i wonder if he's still around have him on the show <laughs> his his last thing was in 2001 okay well yeah probably not probably not that well that's funny i didn't see fatal exposure at all or maybe i saw it and i'd completely forgotten that we had done that because it's that's it was, one of those it was his very next movie so he probably just stayed in Portland. he just stayed here <laughs> his rental went on six months longer than he thought so he was like might as well make another movie <laughs> um let's see there is a nice uh scene where pa uh, tv's patrick duffy is wrestling because his wife is like you know open up to me tell me what's wrong let me in and he doesn't want to tell her because she doesn't he doesn't want her to freak out that they might be being stalked by this murderer and so um after she puts on her uh, boxy lingerie they end up in the bathtub and they're in this bathtub and she's in the bathtub and then he's just fully laying on top of her in the bathtub. They're not like side by side. They're not doing that thing where they're like facing each other with their knees up. He's just like fully laying on top of her in the bathtub. And I'm like, there's no way that that is an enjoyable bath experience just for both of them to be staring up at each other. That made me laugh a lot. The scene required him to stand up very quickly 
So that's why he had to be sitting like that because he gets a phone call from Alex, the antagonist. Um, yeah, sometimes sometimes it's just sexy enough. Sometimes it works. <laughs> they had two sexy scenes in there. They played them both right and they made it easy on themselves. They that's didn't right. have to complicate it. They didn't have to do any choreography. Stand up, Patrick Duffy, go to the phone, put on the towel, uh, give the women uh, give the women watching this what they want. That's right. Well, the scene starts and she's like giving him a massage or something. And I think she's, uh, he's like, oh, that's the spot. So I, I thought that it was just like, she was like giving him a back rub or something. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's how they were reading it. But I just thought it was such a funny position when you think about like the reality of what it would be like to like both be in a bathtub and you're just both like <laughs> laying there with the much larger man on top of that <laughs> poor woman. Um, Not just any woman. She was uh, Tila in the uh, uh, Roger Corman uh, uh, Masters of the Universe or Canon Films, uh, Masters of the Universe. That's right. I did see that, but I didn't recognize her under her 90s helmet hair that she had going on. So I kept forgetting to make that connection. Um, Patrick, TV's Patrick Duffy in this movie, like, like I said, for a long time, we're introduced to him in the very first scene. He is who William Devane is listening to on his little earpiece or out in Pioneer Square. Then we kind of don't see him other than like, one or two really short scenes where he's literally just sitting around at desks that are much too tiny to do anything. Like one of them is just in the corner yeah. of a room. And then another one is just like one of those hallway desks with a phone on it. And he's like just sitting in the hallway and then like he answers the phone there and then he's just laying down in the bath. And I'm like, is Patrick Duffy gonna like going to do anything in this movie? He is just sitting. When he does do something, he goes all out. The movie starts with Miss Kramer's uh, husband uh, getting killed. This is just a side character. Uh, but simultaneously, Patrick Duffy's wife is being stalked. Mate, by the because the the antagonist Alex is obsessed with her, or or, or Patrick Duffy there's, wants there's to put the pressure on them. Yeah, yeah. There's also some connotations that Alex is like maybe in love with Patrick Duffy, or he's like obsessed with him. But so she gets home. And then he's like, uh, we're not dawdling around. All points bulletin, get everyone away from the homicide that just happened. My wife is being stalked. And, and so so just know that when the when when push comes to so, shove, Patrick Duffy doesn't waste any time. He abuses his police power as captain, takes everything, all the resources away from a dead man lying in the street. For all we know, he might still even be lying in the street because his wife was being stalked. But maybe legitimate because he does know more than everyone else. He does know right. that he's stalking them. Right, right. It was pretty cool to see that first guy who was shot in the back. Uh, he was jogging uh, down waterfront. It was kind of neat to see the waterfront at night like that. They also uh, have a bigger he, ship. They have like it, it was like fleet. Yes, at the time. yes. I was gonna. I was gonna say, is there any chance this was Fleet Week because there's like that giant uh, looks like a navy. Oh, I thought it was the navy boat that's always there, the one that's yeah. just like perma docked there. Isn't there a big boat that's always there? There's a Spirit of Portland, and then there's uh, not a military one, not, okay. not permanently now. Okay, interesting. Uh, but yeah, that that was also hey, that's great production value. When you got a destroyer, a U.S. battleship in the in the shot, yep. uh, you can't go wrong with that shot. Shoot the rodeo, as they say. Yeah. Um. So. At one point, Patrick Duffy is like really started. I don't know if he told us has told his wife at this point yet, but he's. He knows that William Devane is out there and out to get him. And so 
uh, TV's Patrick Duffy is like sweeping his own house to try to find bugs and surveillance. And so he's going around his wife comes home and he rushes over to the door and his little Geiger meter or whatever he's using to find uh, (laughs) listening devices goes crazy. And there's just like a potted plant right next to the door with this like this comically oversized listening device in it. And it reminded me of, do you remember in Kentucky Fried Movie where they had the fistful of yin thing and there's the part where they're infiltrating the Taekwondo master's whole thing or whatever. And the main character is like trying to tell the girl like, shh, people are listening. And he points to a small like listening to device in the lamp but it like keeps escalating to the where there's a guy with a boom mic in the corner of the room uh-huh. and like another yeah. huge thing that comes into like, it's just super obvious. And it's totally what reminded me of him finding that giant listening device in the plant right next to the door. And then he picks it up and he just like crushes it in his bare hand. Uh, I did like the part where um, as they're closing in on William Devane, they get a hold of one of these ransom notes uh, the, uh, for, for services rendered notes that he sends out to, to extort people and they bring it to the lab and they, they figure out what kind of paper it is and then they go on this little adventure to like hunt down the paper which is from England but one store in Portland gets it and like just this little mini side quest of like hunting down the paper I thought was, was, was pretty fun. Um, so they they was was someone gonna I okay. was gonna <laughs> jump over to another location. Oh yeah, go ahead. Um I, so there's one I don't think we've seen before. I'm pretty sure that all of the hospital scenes uh were at Providence on Gleason. Okay, because at one point they drop her off right in front of the sign, and I was like, which one is that? And I couldn't quite tell. Okay. Um, I feel like there's that there's one house too that kind of looks like it's in Westmoreland. It's like that giant white house on uh, on some streets, and so I, I always figure houses that look like that are in Westmoreland. And in, in my um, notes, I wrote down a uh, nice big white house. Uh, Todd question <laughs> mark. I'll have to go on a little Google adventure because uh, there were that was like I said before. It was it was nice to see so many so many locations, especially like ones that were in the industrial Pearl district, because there's another uh, street scene as uh, Patrick Duffy is, um, after after he's taking his bath, William Devane calls and taunts him and says, it's finally time that we meet. And so lures uh, Patrick Duffy down some alleys and what I think is under the Morrison Bridge by City Liquidators. Um, and William Devane is talking to uh tv's patrick duffy in this alley through some sort of voice synthesizer An echo synthesizer <laughs> which is not this is the james bond part of this this is the like he's got a he's q making all these little devices trying to psych his victims out he is because so not only can it sort of disguise his voice it can literally ventriloquism style make it sound like it's coming like from the other side of the alley or from up here from over there and patrick duffy's just wildly shooting his gun in different directions in this alley like a responsible police officer would right (laughs) uh but you know what's funny to me i i feel like uh the echo synthesizer is the cherry on top because alex the antagonist it is a master of disguise he can he can uh do different voices when you run into him you never know who he is (laughs) 
because in that scene at the very top of it he's like going uh he's uh, uh tv's patrick duffy's driving he's in the car there's like uh homeless people burning uh, trash and trash cans they're in a very bad part of the neighborhood this is a very seedy part very noir very grungy and there's one homeless guy who walks by and he delivers this line that's like uh hey love how about a kiss and he delivers in this kind of like uh english style accent and it's just like, who is this? He's, he's like a chimney sweep. Yes, yes. He's like, hello, uh, governor. How about a kiss? And uh, and uh, not only is that, I think the final line that Alex delivers in the movie, uh, but but Patrick Duffy does not recognize him. Patrick Duffy does, has no idea who this guy is. And then he just peels the mustache off. And as the audience were like, it was Alex. He reminds me a lot of Wyndham Earl in season two of Twin Peaks. Uh, I don't know if you remember all the disguises that that guy put on. Yes, that I'll let, or I'll or let Brian in, enjoy that joke. <laughs> yeah, I'll take that one. Uh, or or um, uh, Dana Carvey was it? Wasn't that uh, Master of Master Disguise? William yeah, yeah. <laughs> just shows up as a turtle at one point. Um, so at the end, after that cool, artful shot of the Royal Hotel goes into his window, William Devane is—I forget if he's waiting for police to show up or doesn't quite know. But he catches uh, sight of his own reflection in this mirror that's in the room. And he like makes this big thing where he smashes the mirror. And, and then there's, I feel like another part, although I missed it the second time around, that there's another thing where he smashes a mirror. Or something. I felt like there was a lot of mirror references in it that were never explained. Like, why was he so angry at seeing a reflection of himself in a mirror I mean, I get like, oh, I, the monster I've become or whatever, but like none of it's ever been established anyway. He just like punches this mirror and then that's the end. It was very strange. What, one part that I liked that might reflect on that, this is definitely reaching. There's like a lot of straws I'm trying to pull down here. But like you, in, in his villain layer, you got the sense that he was like methodical. Uh, you got the sense that he was like well put together, really organized. Again, this was in a condo and the the, the pretext of this is he moved from Chicago and built this like underground lair with like escape hatches and, and all that, but, but it was very elaborate, right? So I think when, after the police raid that destroys his lair, when he's in this like very seedy, like by the day motel thing, by the hour probably, you know, even, uh, he looks and he's like, oh, I've been disgraced. I'm, oh. I'm below where I was. You also get, they also try to make this connotation that he's into like fine art because there's this painting that's always behind him in his secret lair. And that painting is almost as strong as Max hat. It's almost <laughs> as strong. It almost steals the scene every time. And it has this kind of like a black figure, very abstract human face with two different color eyes. And so you kind of get this sense of like, he, he's watching people, some, the painting's watching him, he's wa but he, he doesn't want to watch himself. And he's, he's trying to be this kind of like high class serial killer. And when he's forced to flee to this roach motel, he, he can't stand to look at himself. That's, okay. that's how I would try to uh, flip okay, it Okay, I'll buy that. I guess I didn't realize, I guess looking back now, I guess I realized he wasn't in a different apartment than he was. But yeah, the police raided him. And so they go into his condo and they, they find that secret panel where there's a big... Um, guarded door that you have to open um, with, with like a with a with a print with a hand. oh that's right a biometrics print or whatever and Mac from Night Court who is trying to raid the place they're like oh we can't get in and he like I don't know if he, it's a crowbar he picks up or whatever and just starts smashing the wall which is just drywall and he makes like a big hole in it and then is like 
we can't get through here. It's too strong. I'm like, you just with one hand busted through this drywall that's next to the guarded door and then gave up. torch. (laughs) But then they take an exciting trip to what I'm guessing is Fred Meyer because they're at a grocery store that pans over and there's like all the hardware, you know, stuff that you can also get. And like, uh, that's the only grocery store that I know that you can, you can find it all at Fred Meyer. <laughs> so you can buy your hardware equipment, your murder and supplies, <laughs> RC cars. Uh... <laughs> okay. I will, I need to talk about that. So everything's drawing to a close. William Devane kidnaps uh, TV Patrick Duffy's wife because he tapped the phone and brings her to, oh no, she was high, She was in a safe uh, location. They brought her to a hotel. And, 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 and Silk is protecting them, protecting her, but his love of takeout undoes <laughs> them all. <laughs> because William Devane shows up, unceremoniously just shoots the two detectives whose story we've been following the entire movie. And they do give it one moment where like some guy I don't know comes in like cries a, a little bit at, after seeing Mac Mac from Night Court and he's blown away. So William Devane kills them two and then ties up uh, Ellie, the wife, and then call t- calls TV's Patrick Duffy. He's like, aha, I have your wife. And so TV's Patrick Duffy rushes over to the hotel where William Devane is now gone, but the wife is still there tied up. Why in the world did William Devane not kill the wife there? Like he killed the other two cops. So it's not like he's, why did he just leave and not take the wife with him or kill the wife? Uh, because because they needed be, okay here's my here's my best guess because they needed the RC car kill <laughs> to kill them both at the end. See, I, that's my question. So, it, was he hoping to get them both at once, and that's why he did? It? But then, why not just wait for TV's Patrick Duffy to show up at the hotel to rescue his wife? He would have showed up with with more cops. I, I I am really trying hard to like make. Yeah, yeah. Sense, <laughs> You're very he, magnanimous. It would have been a showdown, and he didn't want that. He wanted to get away. Okay, yeah. So then, um, so uh, William Devane leaves the wife at the hotel and goes back to uh, Patrick Duffy and his wife's house and starts rigging up. Like, that's why, as much as I would like to, to acknowledge that that's what he wanted to do, he rigs up this Rube Goldberg machine thing where a shotgun is propped up on books and held down by ropes with something tied to a trigger that is pushed off the table by a remote control car that is triggered by a weight on the door. And I'm like, this was your plan? Like stand there and shoot them. What, like, why have you, none of your, none of your killings have been a trap as of yet. Like what, and then to do it in such a way where you're like duct taping a shotgun to a table and using a remote control car. Like, did he bring that car with him or are these just like found objects in their house? Well, by doing it, it was from Fred Meyer. Yeah. And and by doing it this way, he can um, go down the street to the diner and have a bite to eat while he's waiting for them to be killed. Yes. Which he, and he can listen to other people and try and get some hot hot leads. Hot tips on the who wants people murdered scene. So yeah, he sets that up, William Devane, and then goes to that little cafe restaurant and sits there. Uh, unbeknownst to him, uh, 
TV's Patrick Duffy and his wife kind of figured out and they dodged the, the shotgun, which goes off when they open the door. Patrick Duffy runs down to the um, cafe, which he can see and starts looking for someone, sees a guy with headphones on. He's like, that's the guy that's been listening to us and just like manhandles this poor, this poor patron of a restaurant who's just listening to something on his, his headphones. It's very important to note that right before the shotgun blast when Patrick Duffy and the wife are going to the house he Patrick Duffy has some sort of file report and has all these like bad police sketches and the wife says you don't even know what he looks like I know what he looks like <laughs> and 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 then he runs off and that's a very key thing when he goes to the place he has no idea who he's he just sees a guy with headphones and then he 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 assaults him and I love the next line after that. There's like a guy sitting down. He points the gun at him and he says, sit down. And the guy s- sits up <laughs> and then sits down again. So as he's doing that, uh, Patrick Duffy is was roughhousing this one, uh, the wrong man at the cafe. The wife runs in um, to see what's going on. William Devane, meanwhile, who is on the other side of the cafe, is trying to like leave without being noticed. I did like this. The phone, uh, the public phone on the wall behind William Devane rings, which causes Patrick Duffy and his wife to look. The wife says, you know, that's not him. That You're roughing the wrong guy. That's him. And then uh, Patrick Duffy blows him out the front window of the cafe, uh, which is the, the final scene of this movie. So it all ends. It all ends at the Nightmare Cafe, wherever that place is. The unknown, yeah. The unknown has, cafe. Um, uh, back to back, two door being blown open by gun shots. Oh yeah. And but I, w- I just want to comment on like the very the feel of the end of this movie is really wild because from the buying the RC car to the police officer dying to the the shotgun at their house to the diner, that's like five minutes. That's it. It goes by. It's so incredibly fast. Or slow. It's just like they cram, <laughs> they cram, they cram in. I would say thirty minutes worth of like B movie fun action and like absurd rigging RC car nonsense uh, into like five minutes in the end of this movie. And if it had been sprinkled out a little bit more, I think it would have been a much more kind of fun and goofy movie. That's really true because I, as I was taking notes on this, I there was hardly anything to like really make a comment on and i was getting to the end of of probably that last 20 minutes and i'm like oh i i don't think i'll i can i I don't have to waste a whole new page of notebook paper because nothing's going to happen but then you're right like everything happens all at once at the end and then we're done um what else so did we actually see him buy that rc car at fred meyer he puts it in his cart but he does like that is where it came from then. And I just missed that. Yeah. That's that's so wild. I mean, what as you're like, if if somebody held a proverbial gun to your head and said, you have to rig a front door to fire this shotgun, like how would you ever arrive at like it's just it was so funny to me because it was just it wasn't clever it wasn't like a marbles dropping it clearly was not planned out any further than that quick stop at fred meyer to get like ice cream and and yeah. death equipment uh, do you think he like walked up and down the aisles and he was like no <laughs> this hel- this toy helicopter is not gonna work <laughs> that, uh, i have a tennis ball and 
this, I guess I could use this hammer to hit a ping pong ball. No, the ping pong ball is too light. <laughs> Apples, bananas, eggs, milk. Two of those are for me to eat. The other ones are to rig an explosive. Don't ask too many questions. <laughs> oh, so yeah. And then that brings us to the end uh, of the movie. All this movie is free on YouTube, by the way, for anybody that would like to watch. Um, Tubi as well. And Tubi as well. That's right. As long <laughs> as long as you're there watching Slapped, you can watch uh, Murder <laughs> COD. Well, I also want to call out just very brief. How he uh, the, the the after the shot the failed shotgun assassination at their house, the fact that he ran to the diner that that Patrick Duffy went to the diner that's a crazy hunch. Like there was no reason to believe mm. that anyone would be in that diner, but yep. it was the right hunch, and that's why he's captain. Yeah, that's why he's captain <laughs> and Corbin and and Mac aka Silk. They nope. didn't get the promotion. Nope. Yeah. No, they got, they get killed. I mean, I guess it is one of those like, well, criminals like to return to the scene of their crime, or maybe that's just arson. I don't know which one it is, but maybe it was like one of those things. Like he'll want to watch. And I noticed that cafe. And so I bet you he's having some tea. Anything else in this movie that uh, is worth mentioning? Um, if you are interested in reading the original novel, it is called Kill Fee. <laughs> um, All right. Well, what's a better name? Kill Fee or I, Murder COD? I think Murder COD wins. Kill, I guess, fee. Kill fee is like an app. for <laughs> this like on-demand assassination. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. Um, uh, <laughs> As released in Spain, this movie was called uh, Assassinato on Portland. <laughs> nice. Oh, that's cool. That would be a great poster to have. I haven't looked at any box art to this, so I don't quite know what it looks like. Uh, but that would be a, one of those great posters. Mm -hmm. um, so which one again was Sally Kramer? She is the wife of the first guy that gets killed? Yes. Okay. Yes. She I'm is the classic femme fatale of the movie. Okay. Uh, the one with the big sunglasses, the husband was beating her. And uh, okay. she she actually has a really good performance. I love her like uh, smoking at the dinner table, being interrogated. Like, what you think I'm a suspect? I thought many times about killing him, but uh, it wasn't. Yeah, me. she had a lot of great smoke smoking acting. That was just something we don't get in movies anymore since that will get you a rated R if you see mm -hmm. any characters with a, with a cigarette. So I guess she was deserved of the special appearance by Marianne Hartley as Sally Kramer. So... Her performance was so good. They just had to call her out in the credits. Well, that brings us to the end of Murder COD. Um, Michael, where can people learn more about you and find out more about you? Oh, uh, thank you for asking. Uh, let's see. I think the best places, I think we got three places. We got, uh, I'll list them in order of what I think people will enjoy. One is our Instagram, which is at videos the future. Uh, all one word. So at video is the future. Our Facebook, which is at video future. And then also our website, which uh, we're going to redo. And it has a very funny, if you wanted to see a, a, a website that, you know, I can make, uh, go to that website. It's actually charming <laughs> in the way that it looks right now, uh, which is videosthefuture.com. Okay. Uh, check it out because we are going to go to a WordPress template soon. So you won't be able to see the magic for much, much longer. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, th thank you for letting me pitch that. Videos the Future. It's a local indie film company and we're hoping to make uh, low budget made for Tubi movies. Fantastic. Well, 
And are you actively working on one right now? Yeah. Yes, we're we're always working on one. What is the next one? Uh, we just finished one about a guy being chased by a minotaur in a haunted arcade machine. Okay, so that was a lot of fun. That's a short film. <laughs> that old story. Fun. Yeah, uh, I think Shakespeare or or uh, Ulysses told it first. Uh, and then uh, the next one we're going to work on is called Ins and Outs. It's going to be a surreal drama. Uh, at one point, there's going to be an alien flying in a convertible th- throughout a space. A guy's face is going to get melted off. Uh, it's gonna be that one's gonna be a really crazy one. I actually don't know how to describe it, but we also, uh, yeah, we always got a, we always got a project coming on, and we also very big one. We have a, a video uh, in partnership with the Portland Slee Stack, uh, which is going to be a Ooh. recreation of Pee Wee Herman's tequila dance scene at Rainbow City with a bunch of drag queens and the Unipiper and. Uh, all, all the, you know, we're going to try to get as many like, Portland people, recognizable people in this video as possible of a 70s retro lizard man dancing to a tequila parody song. And really, that's like on brand for me. The Portland Seas like such a nice guy. Uh, but but uh, but stay tuned for more information on that one. That is amazing. And I know um, uh, Greg Nibbler, who does uh, one of the uh, hosts on Fun Employment Radio, whose show, uh, uh, whose network that we're on, uh, is a huge Pee Wee fan. So uh, Sarah Thank and you. Greg, who are who are long, uh, one of Portland's longest running um, podcasts, um, many time winner of the best podcast in Portland, um, you might be able to hit them up if you need uh, people to populate your Pee Wee loving uh, homage there. Sounds good. Sounds good. And if you need if you need anything, um, someone who likes to work for free doing cool projects, give me a call and I will show up and do free we'll things for me. For you. Uh, we'll corpse. That's right. I, I have experience playing a corpse. So if you ever need that, I know how to lay real still and have prosthetics applied to me. So that is my skill set. <laughs> All right. Brian, the Unipiper, it is the beginning of summer. What uh, where can people go to see you? Um, if you are uh on the hunt for more um, uh, charming websites, you can check out my uh, homemade uh, Google site uh, at unipiper.com. Uh, Google has let me know that I need to update it or they're going to uh, delete my website. So uh, see it now before it gets updated. Does it's that still mean running off a of flash? <laughs> oh, is that why? Or no, just no. Like... Uh, the Google Sites engine is uh, being replaced by a new one, and so it has to. Oh, funny. Yeah. I wonder. I guess I'll have to keep an eye on the Mark and Todd guest site too, <laughs> or, or Portland at the movies to see if those are going to get yanked off. Well, those are WordPress, right? Oh, maybe. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Well, thank you, Michael, again for joining us. Uh, thank you for listening. I will play you at the. Uh, whatever plays over the end credits of this movie. So thank you everyone for listening. Check out Fun Employment Radio. We will talk to you next month. Thank you.